Hi, this is Pastor Andrew here at Oak Ridge Baptist Church in San Antonio, Texas. If you'd like to learn more about us, you can check us out online at www.orbcnet.com. Better yet, come by and visit us at the corner of Wurzbach and Vance Jackson in northwest San Antonio. Welcome, church. It's good to be out of quarantine with the worship team. On Jesus we lean. That is my dream. So, um, so Richard is going to be a deacon, and one of the jobs of the deacons is to help the pastor to encourage you guys, to encourage the church, and we all try to encourage each other. We hear all the negative things that are happening out there. In here, we focus on a good and caring father who will bless us. Um, I want to encourage you for the new year to listen better and see better the Lord. Listen and see him better to behold the glory of the Lord. That's his will for all of us. So if you stand, we're going to read uh, John chapter 6. One through 15. After this, Jesus went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. <clears throat> and a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. When Jesus went up to the mountain... And there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then, and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of the disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as I wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told the disciples, gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who is coming to the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. 
Father, we come before you today and we look at you, Father. We don't look at what's happening around us, the chaos and the craziness, but we look at you who is a God of order, Father. Everything is under control with you. Everything is all right with you, Lord. And you fed those people. We pray now that you feed us with your spiritual food, Lord. We are hungry. We look to you so that you can feed us. Feed us, Lord, this morning as our pastor comes and presents your word to us, Lord. In the power of your spirit, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Please pray with me. Oh Lord, God, I come before you again this morning feeling acutely my inadequacy to the task. Lord, I ask that you would speak through me this morning, that you would <clears throat> give me your words and your wisdom, and that you would stifle all those things inside of me that do not come from you and are not for you. God, I pray that you would move in a supernatural way in the minds and the hearts of the people here, that they would be able to perceive your will for their lives. Lord, move in this place. And let my words not return empty. And Lord, I ask these things in the strong name of your son, Jesus. Amen. We're now three weeks into 2021. It seems like every time I stand up here... Um, I say something like, can it get worse? That's probably not a good question to ask because it tends to get worse. I saw a, uh, one of those really uh, interesting memes. For those of you who don't know me, I love memes. I think that they're an incredibly... Um, uh, creative way of speaking truth. And, and it's, a, it's an image of... Uh, you know, somebody saying, uh, can, can anything be worse? There, nothing could be worse than 2020. And then it says, 2021, hold my beer and watch this. We've had a Capitol riot, and now we're going to get to participate in the second impeachment of a present, president, one that is probably not even going to be in office when they impeach him. And this is disturbing on so many levels. This week, a noted Christian leader spoke about the 10 Republicans who voted to impeach President Trump and implied that they had taken 10 pieces of silver to betray him. 
Now, I, I know that this was meant as a joke, as dark satire, as a way of attacking the men and women as traitors to the cause. But we need to understand that within every joke, there is a little bit of the truth. Large sections of the evangelical movement have embraced the president as a kind of savior. We've looked to him because he was willing to say things that, quite frankly, we wanted to say. Things that we were feeling that our elected officials did not echo. He spoke for us when we felt like we did not have a voice. This is why he was called a populist. According to the dictionary, a populist is a politician who strives to appeal to ordinary people who feel that their concerns are disregarded by established elite groups. And I think that that would pretty much define us. We feel acutely that our society is slipping away. That it's being stolen by intellectuals and celebrities and business leaders. That there is a vast cabal of powerful people that are leading the country into sin and rebellion against God. And so, we turned to a populace to fix our problems. And he just lost. And that hurts. And when we endure pain, sometimes we do things that are unwise. But often our pain will reveal unhealthy, underlying things about us. And so we come into our passage this week in the Gospel of John, and as so often happens as we read through the Bible, it is incredibly applicable to the situation that we find ourselves in. See, the problem that we as Christians face right now as evangelical Christians is we don't know how to interact with power. We either rebel against it or we're seduced by it. We don't have a healthy relationship with politics. But the entire sixth chapter of the Gospel of John deals with how we should interact with those in power. This morning, our passage opens at the beginning of another one of these cycles. We've talked about this before in the Gospel of John, how John is not arranged chronologically. Our passage this morning opens up, and after this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Now, last week, Jesus was in Jerusalem arguing with the Pharisees. We're not sure exactly when this happened. It was sometime after. We know from the Synoptic Gospels, from Matthew, Mark, and Luke, that this happened in the midst of Jesus' Galilean ministry. But we need to understand is it doesn't really matter when it happened. 
What we need to understand is that John is organizing his thoughts in such a way as to make a point. And hopefully, by the end of this, that point will become clear. See, Jesus, in his last cycle, was dealing with those who were in power. And the question was one of authority. Who has authority? Do the Jewish leaders have authority or does Jesus have authority? The cycle that we're about to enter into deals with how people interact with the authority of Christ. So our passage starts out this morning telling us that after Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on their sick. Jesus went up on the mountain and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover feast of the Jews was at hand. Over the next several weeks, we're going to be going through some of the best-known stories in the Bible. And the story that we're going to be talking about this morning is probably one of the best-known stories. Jesus has taken a pause in his ministry in Galilee, and he has attempted to get away. He has sailed across the Sea of Galilee, the Sea of Tiberias, the Lake of Gennesaret. It's all the same thing. It's a large body of fresh water in one of the lowest places on earth, in the middle of this big rift valley. He's gone across this lake to the other side. We're not exactly sure why he did, but we think that it has to do with the death of John the Baptist. We know in the Gospel of Matthew that directly before this, John the Baptist was murdered by King Herod. When Jesus heard that his cousin had been killed, he stopped his ministry and he went to the other side of the sea. This makes sense. Sometimes a tragedy like this can shake us. We can need a moment to kind of step back and rest, to kind of gather ourselves, to figure out what the, the next step is. And so Jesus moves to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. But he's not left alone for very long. See, a large crowd of people follow him to the other side of the sea. They have been exposed to his ministry. They have seen him heal people. They've seen him make blind people see. They've seen him do miracles and to a hopeless people, he is the hope. And so they follow him around to the other side of the lake. Now John tells us something that the other Gospels don't tell us. He tells us that it is around the time of the Passover. That's very interesting. John ties most of his signs that Jesus did to major Jewish festivals. So we have to understand that there's something deeper going on here. John is trying to convey an image to us, and, and we need to understand that it, it connects to the cycle that we had before. See, in the last cycle, in this last series of, of problems that he had with the Jewish leaders, he over and over and over again, he told them that they claimed that Moses was their father, that Moses was the person that they looked up to, and yet Moses was going to condemn them. And now, Jesus has crossed a body of water. He's going to do a, 
a miracle involving food, and then he is going to do another miracle involving water. Now, these two concepts, bread and water, were inexorably tied to the ministry of Moses, so much so that in the Passover litany that the Jews would say, they remind the people every year of the miracles of manna in the wilderness and God dividing the Red Sea. John is trying to make a very clear connection here between Jesus and the Moses that would condemn the Jewish leaders. Jesus is the new Moses, and like Moses, he will be faced with rejection, rebellion, and disbelief. See, in in a very human and predictable way, the Jewish people of the time had taken Moses and they had elevated him to this figure of a golden age and they hadn't realized. They didn't think about the other implications of the Moses story. For those of you who have been going through our, um, our Bible study on Exodus, uh, Leviticus, and uh, Numbers, This should feel very familiar to you. See, the people that Moses led were not a unified band of people firmly supportive of Moses and moving out in a good direction. The way we see maybe in Cecil DeMille's The Ten Commandments where everybody's on board and we're moving out. No, they were a gripey, whiny, rebellious group of people who all died in the wilderness because they could not cope with Moses as the leader. And so Jesus is being described here by John as the new Moses, and like the new Moses, he will be faced with rejection, rebellion, and disbelief by the very people he's been sent to save. See, like Moses, Jesus has gone up onto a mountain to minister, and now the stage is set for something amazing to happen. We read in verse 4, I'm sorry, in verse 5, lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming towards him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? And he said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. And Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough to give each of them a little. And one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? See, as Jesus is sitting with his disciples on the mountainside, he sees this large group of people coming. And here's where we have to piece together the scene from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We know that this huge group of people have followed Jesus to the mountain. We know that Jesus has sat there and he's taught the people throughout the day. And as the sun begins to go down, his disciples begin to say, hey, Jesus, you need to let these people go. They need to go and get food for themselves. I don't know if anybody here has ever been to like a large rock concert or any large gathering of people in the open air, but 5,000 people is a lot of people. I want you to understand here what we're talking about. When we read in Scripture that there's 5,000 men, that doesn't include women and children. 
Some scholars have looked at this and said there may have been upwards of 20,000 people on the side of that hill without porta johns, by the way. 20,000 desperate, tired, hungry, angry people with no porta johns and no food. Is it any wonder why the disciples wanted to disperse them? Hey, Jesus, let these guys go home. Let them go get some food. And then we can figure it out. And so Jesus looks at Philip and says, where are we going to find the money to feed all these people? And Philip, who is a much larger actor in the Gospel of John than he is in the other Gospels, gets caught off guard and he, he freaks out a little bit. It's interesting, Judas is the one who holds all the money, but Philip is kind of the logistician. He's the one that, that thinks through issues. And he starts running the numbers in his head. He's like, oh, it's going to take 200 denarii to feed even just a little bit to all these people. That's like eight months' salary for a regular guy. It's like, we don't have that kind of money, Jesus. We, we, we can't feed them. He's panicking. Jesus has asked him to do something, and he knows he does not have the resources to do it. So then Andrew, who's another guy that pops up a lot in the Gospel of John, he's like, oh, well, let's look at what we got. Uh, hey, little kid, come here. Get your own food, nerd. He didn't do that. That's not how that happened. He's probably like, hey, little boy, can I have your lunch? And so this little boy gives him his lunch. When we hear, we have this really cool picture up here, right? The fishes and the loaves, and that looks, actually, that looks pretty good. That's not what they ate. He had five barley loaves. Now, barley is the poor people's food. I don't know if anybody here has ever had barley bread. Is it great? No, it's not. It's not good. Okay, it's rough. It doesn't have the gluten that you need to make bread nice and pillowy. All that stuff that we're all like gluten, like we're allergic to, that's what makes bread nice, by the way. It doesn't have that as much. And so it's this hard, dense, kind of thick, poor people bread. And the fish are not beautiful tilapia like that. They're like dried, pickled sardines, fish, little fish that are dried out that kind of serve as a relish. So it's like this guy's got basically sardines and crackers. Be like, Jesus came up to him and said, hey, hey, I need, to, I need your lunch here. Oh, sardines and crackers. You, you must be Czech. Okay. A little Tabasco sauce. And so Andrew takes this obviously inadequate amount of food and says, Jesus, this is all we have. What are we supposed to do? See, the, the people... And the Jewish leaders are not the only people who don't understand the nature of Christ's power. Over and over again in the Gospels, especially in the Gospel of John, we're going to see that the disciples who dwell among Jesus don't have any idea of what he's capable of. They continuously default to the earthly patterns that they're used to. It's all they know. You want to feed people, you need money. See, flesh can accomplish nothing. 
Only the Spirit of God can bring life. Often as followers of Christ, we turn to Jesus as the last resort when all of our own resources are used up. We look to our own resources first when we have a a problem. We don't want to bother Jesus or God with the issues that we're having because secretly... We want the glory that comes from being self-sufficient. We don't want to constantly be having to ask somebody. That was the coolest part about being 18 is I got to get out of the house and I didn't have to ask my parents for permission to do things. And we feel that way with God. We want to be on our own. And yet over and over again, we are faced with the fact that we are woefully unprepared to accomplish the mission that Jesus has called us to. This is never more apparent, more apparent than in ministry. When we are asked to do supernatural things, and we attempt to do supernatural things with earthly tools, and then we become frustrated when they don't work. Oh, brothers and sisters, flesh can accomplish nothing Only the Spirit of God can bring life, and the sooner that we accept that, the sooner we move into a place of abundance. Hard work in the flesh will not make your marriage more successful. Ladies, I know that you think that if you just remind your husband more, he'll do better. That what he needs is to be reminded of the places that he has fallen short. And if you constantly and consistently remind him of that which he has to do but has failed to do, then you'll break through. But understand this, nobody has ever been nagged into being a better husband. It's a real thing. The same is true with our children. The same is true with our jobs. Transformation comes through the power of Christ. And we're about to see what happens when that is released. Verse 10, Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, and so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. And so also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. And so they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the barley loaves left by those who had eaten. It is amazing the lack of showmanship that Jesus uses as he does this miracle. I don't know if any of you have ever watched any of the so-called faith healers. Kenneth Copeland, guys like that, Benny Hen. When they're about to do a miracle, they want you to know that they're going to do a miracle. They want the crowd to get up so, they, so everybody knows a miracle is about to happen here, but it's not quite yet. We need the band to pick up a little bit so you know that something miraculous is going to happen. And then they 
Spool up like somebody in a Street Fighter video game about to unleash a powerball. Here it comes, here it comes. The miracle's not there yet. It's coming, it's coming. Oh, maybe, maybe. Is that what Jesus does? Jesus says, take the bread, pass the bread out. Be obedient. Here comes the blessing. Jesus doesn't have to hype his miracles. Jesus doesn't have to build the crowd up. He doesn't need a group of people out in the crowd pumping them up. Jesus doesn't need the energy of the crowd to do the miracle. He simply says, take the bread, hand it out. And what is the result? Everyone ate their fill and there were 12 baskets of fragments left over at the end. Jesus has commanded the disciples to feed the crowd. They have admitted their inability to do so. And then he, through his power, has finished the job. He has enabled that which he has commanded. Flesh and blood have no power here, but the Spirit of God does to bring life. Jesus has miraculously fed the multitude, and now the real drama begins. See, the sign itself is never the point of the story in John. The sign unleashes all of the forces that John wants to critique. In the past chapters, when Jesus does a sign, the Jewish leaders step up, and then that gives Jesus an opportunity to deal with their underlying sin nature. And now, as Jesus does this massive sign, he's about to deal with the underlying sin nature of the people. We read that when the people saw that the sign had been done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. We don't know how this miracle took place. We don't know if Jesus stood there and big old piles of bread just magically appeared out of nowhere or if the people handed the baskets from one to another and they just kept being full. We don't know how this looked. What we do know is that when the people got there, they were hungry and now they were full. And I want you to understand this. These are people that were not used to being full. These are the poor the servants, the last and the least, people who were not used to having abundance, and they could eat till their heart's content. No one had brought any food, and now they were filled. Not only has he healed the sick, he has given them food from nothing. Healing people is one thing. There were faith healers. But this kind of miracle, this taps into a totally different stream of remembrance. This is the kind of thing that great Old Testament prophets do. This is what Elijah did. This is what Moses did. And after this, the people declare that Jesus is the prophet who would But they're not done with him either. See, these are not the wealthy people there, the humble poor, the middle class working men of upper Galilee, people who have known nothing but defeat and oppression and the powerless words of corrupt leaders. 
They have been told their entire lives that their Messiah will not come because they're not good enough. That they need to work harder and be better and then maybe the Messiah will come. They've been told to shut up and work harder. And every now and then someone would come in claiming to be something special and people would follow him for a while only to discover that the guy was a fake or crazy or both. But this guy, this guy is the real deal. This guy is legit. And they decide that they're done waiting on their Messiah. They're done being kicked around. They're done being trampled. This is the man that they're going to follow. And who wouldn't want to follow Jesus as your king? He's gentle. He has integrity. He speaks truth to power. And so this group of people begins to rumble. They begin to make noises. They begin to become restless. They begin to talk like they're going to take him and make him king by force. They have an army. 20,000 people that can be fed. If they get hurt, they can be healed. Jesus now has an army that he can use to overthrow the Romans, and these people are ready to get down to it. I want you to think about what it must have been like to be a disciple at this time. For maybe a year, everybody in your family has been looking at you like you're crazy. Why did you follow this itinerant prophet out into the wilderness for nothing? You were going to be a fisherman. You were supposed to be something else. You were, had a good job as a tax collector and you left all of it. Now they must have felt vindicated. Here is where it turns. The Messiah is about to step up and we're going to be in on the ground floor. This group of people has become a mob and mobs are powerful things because mob take, mobs take on a life of their own. I can remember one time when I was in college it was my senior year. I was getting ready to, to graduate. I had a promising career ahead of me in the Marine Corps. And uh, I got swept into uh, something in, our, in, in the Corps of Cadets at, at Texas A&M. Every year they would have, uh, the band would, uh, would be in the chow hall and they would sing this dumb song and everybody would make a lot of noise. And I decided that this was the last year that I was going to hear this. So I stood up on a table and I basically incited a riot. Um, I can remember taking my, my, uh, my tray and just banging it against the table and just inciting this group of people. And we had one goal in mind. We were going to go running through the band dorm, tear down all their stuff, and then we we're going to run out on the band field, which then would incite a large fight, which was what I wanted because that's who I was back then. Anyway, so I did this, and we went running out of the chow hall, and everybody followed. And it's, it's an amazing feeling. By the way, when you have like hundreds of people that are following you and you're about to go commit mayhem, there's adrenaline. I remember running down the quad, I'm like got a hundred people at my back like, yes, we're going to go get into a great big fight. It's going to be amazing. And I remember 
one of the officers that had been in charge and was supervising pulled me to the side and said, you need to stop this because you could lose your scholarship and you could lose your commission and you could get kicked out of the university. So you need to stop. And that was like somebody dumped cold water on me. I was like, whoa, you're right. That was really close. That almost went really bad. And so I was like, okay, guys, we're done. Everybody go back to your rooms. And I can remember opening the door to our dorm, and all of this, this huge mob went in. They were going to go back to their rooms. And then I can remember the feeling in my gut as I looked to the other end of the hallway, and my roommate had the door on the other side of the door open and was just running them out. <laughs> it had taken on a life of its own. It had become something different, something sinister. We saw that on last week at the Capitol as a protest turned into a riot. And Jesus sees that happening in this crowd. He sees them, knew that they intended to make him king by force, and so he left them. He sent his disciples away, and him, he went up to, on a mountain. See, Jesus left the Jews that he had just fed because they were enthusiastic for the wrong kind of king. They wanted a king that would lead them in battle. They wanted a king, and what they needed was a savior. We need to understand, Jesus wasn't seeking a kingdom. He already had one. He wasn't interested in an army. He commanded legions of angels. He didn't want a mob. He wanted a church. He wanted people whose lives had been changed, who were different, not people that were swept up in the passion of the moment. And brothers and sisters, you need to understand this, that we today must continually be on the guard against the same thing. We have to be on our guard against counterfeit kings and fake saviors. Understand this, our savior is no populist. Jesus did not come to make you feel good about yourself. He did not come for your particular petty political issue. People can have great enthusiasm for Jesus, but the Jesus they're excited about is not the real biblical Jesus. Maybe it's Jesus the moral teacher, or Jesus the anti-Semite, or Jesus the social justice warrior, or Jesus the Republican, or Jesus the great liberator. It doesn't matter. Jesus is so much more than any of those things. He is our King and our Savior. See, what we need to understand is that our salvation does not come in this world. It doesn't come from flesh and blood. Flesh and blood cannot bring life. Only the Spirit of God. Our number one problem is not the economy. It's not COVID. It's not socialism. It's not big business or Amazon taking all the jobs away. It's not China or Russia or Pakistan. Our biggest problem is sin. It's not an external problem. It's an internal problem. It is our own broken, dark, and sinful heart. And the only solution to this problem is our Savior. 
Jesus knew that these people's problem wasn't the Romans. It was the fact that they hated their brother. That they were lustful and greedy. And it's only through him that we can be saved from hell and death. And so, brothers and sisters, as we enter into this time of confusion, as individual after individual holds out hope for us as a, as a king or a savior, we've got to keep our eyes fixed on our actual savior. Instead of looking to messianic people out there, We've got to hold on to our real Messiah. And this takes faith. Especially when we see everything going wrong. But it's at times like this that we remember that our ultimate salvation lies in heaven. Our ultimate riches are stored up in heaven. Peace, tranquility, justice all lie outside of this world. And that's what we hold to. Because brothers and sisters, we don't need an earthly king. We need a heavenly savior. And so this morning I want to ask you, I want to ask you to look deep down in your hearts right now and I want you to ask yourselves, do you want a king or do you want a savior? Do you believe that your problems are external, things that are rolling in on you from outside, or do you acknowledge that the biggest problem that you have in your life right now is your own sin? If you do, if you know that you're the biggest problem in your own life, I want, you to, incur, I want to encourage you to look to Christ as the one who can save you. In a moment, we're going to have a time of invitation, and I would encourage you to come forward. Make a profession of faith. Give your life to Jesus who can forgive you for the sin in it. Maybe you've been saved and you have a relationship with Christ, but right now you're overwhelmed by all of the bad news and the crisis that's happening right now. I want you to take your eyes off this world for a moment. And I want you to remember that your Savior lives and that he has already rescued you from the worst things that you face. I don't know where you are right now, but I want to encourage you during this time of invitation to respond to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Now pray with me. Dear Lord, oh God, I thank you so much for the gift of your Son, our Savior Jesus Christ, our King and our Ruler and our Savior. Lord, leaders come and leaders go. Problems come and problems go, but you remain the same. And so I ask you now to work in the hearts of these people, to draw them deeper into relationship with you, that they may know life and know it well. Lord, I ask these things in your holy name. Amen. Please stand and join us as we sing our song of invitation.
Thanks for listening to this sermon, part of the teaching ministry at Oak Ridge Baptist Church. If you'd like more information about Oak Ridge, you can go to www.orbcnet.com.